You are listening to the Let Them Testify podcast with your girl, Layla. So what are you waiting for? Let's testify. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We're so excited that you're here today. Um, If you're new, welcome. If you are returning, thank you so much for coming back and listening to another episode. Today I got to chat to someone I actually haven't ever met before in person, but I've seen her around a lot. Uh, Her name is Mary Ellen Hacko. I think I got that right. Um, And yeah, we talked all things church culture, belief systems, and journaling of all things. It's a really fun episode. I really enjoyed um, the, the conversations that were had, and I hope that you guys enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it. So yeah, let's go. Hey, Marianne, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Layla, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Um, yeah, so I guess we'll just head straight into it. Um, so I guess tell the listener just a little bit about who you are, your background, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, so my name is Mary Ellen Hacker. I am 25, have lived in Sydney my whole life, so I'm not that well-traveled. Um, <laughs> and I guess, yeah, so recently I was working for the church. That's kind of a big part of who I am. I'm really into like Adventist culture and identity and that sort of thing. Um, but recently actually left that position, which I'll go more into later, to become freelance creative. Um, but yeah, my story growing up, I guess, if you want to go back that far, <laughs> yeah. I was I'm a second generation Adventist. And I always find it funny, actually, how Adventists introduce themselves. I'm a second generation. I'm a fifth generation Adventist. I'm only a second generation Adventist. Um, my parents were both Adventists before I was born, which was lovely. So it's been a real privilege to be raised in an Adventist home. I don't take that for granted. Um, attended uh, churches in the Greater Sydney Conference growing up. Um, I attended mostly conservative churches, um, and I still do even to this day, which has really shaped who I am. But it's also given me a big insight into, like, I guess, the disconnection between Adventist belief and behavior, which, again, I'll go more into later. Um, I'm the oldest of three girls, um, and I recently, at the end of last year, got married to my husband, Josh, um, which has been a huge transition and change, (laughs) and it's been awesome. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so this is also my first ever podcast. So I'm, yeah, this is really, really fun to be able to share some of my journey and thank you again for having me. Yeah, no, well, thank you so much for being here. Um, congratulations on getting married too, by the thank way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said that you grew up in a mostly conservative church. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like? for you growing up because I have a very similar experience but I'm interested to hear like your story yeah okay um well the first church I ever attended I don't remember much of it was a conservative church but I moved to another church when I was like I think three or four um so that church I attended I won't like name names but um I attended that church until I was I think 17 when I got my L's and could, or my P's and could like drive to anywhere I wanted basically could be free um Look, it, overall, I I really actually really loved that church. Um, it was a really small church. There was probably, on average for the whole time I was there, like 50 members any given year. Um, the problem was that because it was a small church, it was quite 
I guess, insular in its thinking. A lot of the time, um, you've sort of just got people preaching at the choir, like this echo chamber kind of thing happening. But also the main reason was that, um, the main reason I left was that I was the only child other than my two sisters that attended there. Um, So I I found myself quite lonely and um, yeah, I just wanted some new experiences. But yeah, I guess, look, it's actually funny because when I left that church, I went to a different church, which again is quite conservative because that's what I was used to. Like, you know, the the elders up the front singing the hymns and and no no drums or whatever. Um, But the church I attended after I left that one was actually more conservative. So like, go figure. I don't even understand. But yeah, so the church I grew up in, I don't know, like we actually did have a drum kit from time to time. We had like a band, which was like mostly like an orchestral band or whatever. Um, But yeah, the one I attend now, which is, I've attended three churches. The one I attend now is actually far more conservative, but there's a lot more young people there, which is, again, doesn't really make any sense. Um, But yeah, I guess I found recently as well that I'm starting to want to leave there as well and just sort of um, my, my church employment experience actually has really guess challenged me um which yeah. is yeah w- which I left recently anyway I'm not sure if that actually gives you any insight at all but <laughs> yeah, yeah no, no, that's good yeah. that's good yeah. um yeah I've had, like similar experiences especially when you like were talking about like no one your age being there like that was oh my, my experience for most of my church life to be honest wow. yeah, yeah yeah um yeah so you say that your employment with the church kind of helped like was like a challenge for you or whatever sorry yeah. I forgot what you said exactly no, no, that's okay. um, but like what was that like like how has that shaped you mm. I would say my employment with the Adventist church was the most life-shaping experience that I've probably had uh, and just in terms of like that existential understanding like that big picture I guess shaping yeah. in your life um so I guess to just go back a little bit um, when I left, I, w- I went to two Adventist schools. So I went to an Adventist primary school and Adventist high school. And then I attended a university where I studied um, law and media. Never wanted to become a lawyer, um, but God gave me this awesome opportunity, like out of the blue. It was crazy. I was like giving a welcome one day at church and a random person came up to me and was just like, hey, you should interview for this TV show at Adventist Media. And I was like, oh, cool, I will. Anyway, long story short, I got this position working. I was like 19 at the time. So again, I'm like super green, don't know anything about media. Yeah, <laughs> I only yeah. studied it for like a year. Um, working at a TV show for mums. It was called Mums at the Table. And that was like some of the best, best years of my life. It was amazing. But again, I wasn't a mum. I don't really know why I was there. I was just like on this TV show. <laughs> anyway, long story short, um, being a panelist on that show, I got to know the people at Adventist Media. They're all wonderful, beautiful people. Like I do not take any of them for granted, having known any of the people I worked with. Um, but that got me an opportunity eventually after a few years working um, at our magazine, like our division-wide magazine, Adventist Record. Yeah. Um, so I worked there as what you call an assistant editor, which is essentially like I call it like a jack of all trades, right? Yep. So I was like writing, designing, presenting our news bulletins, like on camera. I was like interviewing people, like all kinds of like media stuff. Um, and I really, really loved that job. Like I, I loved the work that I was doing. It was awesome to have a voice because that magazine is um, distributed every two weeks to like 20,000 people. Yeah, crazy yeah. Work. It's all around the division. Um, and if, if anyone who's an Adventist is watching, uh, listening to this, I'm sure that you have heard of the magazine <laughs> or read parts of it. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I guess like I would never ever say anything bad about like the church employment itself. Like it was a wonderful place to work. It was wonderful. It had amazing mentors and bosses and people that I'm I will be friends with for like a long time. The problem that I had with that and the thing that really shaped, I guess, my journey and my frustration with the church and like this whole mind shift from growing up really conservatively to who I am now was the people that would write into the magazine, right? So like, I wouldn't necessarily classify myself as a conservative. I think I'm pretty middle of the road. Like I have yeah. like a mix of views. I think most people probably do. Yeah. Um. But yeah, just really grappling with not being able to write things that I thought were important or I thought were Jesus-centered because it would offend people, having yeah. people write in and like being super offended over the most minute things. That was really, really challenging to me and like ultimately one of the biggest reasons I left. Um, but yeah, I guess I just saw this huge disconnect between Adventist belief, like our beautiful doctrines, our 28 fundamentals, like our understanding of the Bible as yeah. a text, right? And the majority or like the predominant Adventist culture, like it just didn't compute for me. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that, <laughs> we can dive more into that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that I get that. I've Not that I've ever worked in the Adventist. I mean, like I do work in the Adventist sector because I work at one of our schools. But oh, lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get the disconnect between like our culture and like what we like our fundamentals and what we believe like yeah, yeah. the what we believe is so like loving and mm, jesus centered uh-huh. and then our culture is often so judgmental and harsh and yeah. they don't really marry very well what do you mm. think that is oh my gosh <laughs> well so why do i think there's such a disconnect yeah um, yeah well i mean this is a i mean multifaceted conversation so i'm sure there's like a million reasons but one of the things that I guess I often discussed with um, my coworkers when we were, you know, writing stories for the magazine or grappling with these people that would just write these awful, awful messages, <laughs> it's just crazy, um, was I guess the origins of Adventism and sort of where it came from. Um, because as we know, you know, the mid-1800s, Ellen White was the strongest proponent of Adventism, that the church kind of arose from her writings and her teachings and that whole group, you know, that, at that time. Yeah. Um, and the culture at that point obviously was totally different to what we have now. <laughs> yeah. We have the internet now. We have like so many things now that just completely changed anything. Um, yeah, culturally. And so I think the issue is that because, you know, belonging to the church has arisen from that mindset, it's sort of become a bit of a like I hate to I don't mean this literally, but it's a bit of a social club right? Yeah. You know, you come into the church yeah. and there's certain ways that people do things and it's the way that things have always been done. And in order to be accepted in the social club, you have to, I guess, you know, adhere to those rules or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it also doesn't help. Like I, I believe Ellen White, I, I really enjoy a lot of her writing, but some of the things that she says, we completely misconstrue and we use as weapons to like tear people yeah. down. And yeah. Honestly, I think that that combination of where it arose from plus like the continuation of Ellen White's writings in our modern day culture, which I think a lot of the time just don't marry up, is the reason why we have this huge disconnect. Um, yeah, look, that that's probably the thing I would say mostly, but 
And like, this is the thing as well, like it just boggles my mind because, because of the place where Adventism has come from and also the missionaries, you know, back in the 18, 1900s, whatever, yeah. that would go out and, you know, spread the gospel to the world. It's just crazy to me that there are people like in the islands and people in the like the Sahara Desert or like Africa or wherever that are Adventists in 50 degrees Celsius heat will turn up at church in like a three-piece suit. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's crazy how strong that cultural mindset is that we've just, that social club is that we've adhered to. Yeah. Um, just to belong, I guess, or to be like good Christians. Um, yeah, that's part, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess like that, that makes sense too. Like mm. that's not even a new thing. Like if in humanity, like mm. the Pharisees, not saying that Adventists are Pharisees, but <laughs> the, <laughs> the Pharisees were like that in Jesus's time too. Yeah. Like they were going off stuff from a culture that was before their time and mm-hmm. sticking to and making stuff up for themselves as well. But they were going off like stuff that happened in the Old Testament when the culture was different mm. than to what it was then. And then we go off stuff from the Bible, but we don't look at the cultural like society of that time yeah like yeah, exactly I got so many people I know of think that God is like this really harsh mean God mm-hmm. and if you read say like the Old Testament on face value then yeah I can see why they would think that but if you go back to the culture of the time and you go back to what those people came out of like especially the Israelites like they were slaves mm-hmm. in, in Egypt for 400 years they didn't know any other way of being so God had to come to them in an authoritative kind of way because that's the only way that they would respond to him. Yeah. And he planned yeah. on, you know, working them into a more loving relationship-centered kind of way of thinking, but that's mm. a process. That's a maturing process. And I think like for me watching in my own experience, that's kind of what the church misses a lot of the time. Mm. Like Yeah, okay. Like we look at things as like a rule book, which is what it was given to the Israelites as was like a, it was given in a rule book mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that's what they needed. Yeah. We missed that context completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And like even I think it's Paul says like, like when I was a child, I like spoke like a child and acted like mm-hmm. a child, but I'm a grown man now. Mm-hmm. So I don't think like that anymore. And so often, like, even with Ellen White and stuff like that, like, she presented things in a way that was relevant to that culture and their maturity level of that culture. Mm-hmm. But we were supposed to move on from that. Yeah. And, like, that's what Jesus was trying to show us through his life. Like, so many times he said, like, things that were so countercultural to what they were at the time. And even today they're countercultural. Mm-hmm. Mm contextually relevant absolutely I do um I think that's probably the largest issue that we have as the as a Christian church yeah, in general yeah. and obviously as Adventism but something I guess off that that I found really interesting just in the last couple of years and maybe it's just because I've become more aware of it because of my experience maybe social media has made us more aware of it but just this whole idea of deconstruction yeah, um, yeah. this is the word that's thrown around all the time Um, and it just, that's certainly something that I have been going through, I guess, over the past couple of years, which is funny because growing up, like I was baptized at, I think 17. Um, 
And I thought at that point that my faith was my own. I thought I decided everything and yep, I ticked off all the boxes. I believe what I believe. I had no idea what I believed. I thought I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I didn't, I really didn't. And I think honestly, it's not until like for me, at least being at the epicenter, like Adventist record was the epicenter of everything Adventist happening in the whole South Pacific division, yeah. right? It wasn't until I came face to face with I guess just the the diversity of perspectives and culture, like Adventist culture and like the, the tension and the disconnection that we have, the disunity that we have as a church, that my faith was properly tested. Yeah. Like did it actually hold up under those circumstances? Um, and I think a lot of the time, just like this whole deconstruction idea, people assume that if you're un- undergoing a process of deconstruction, if you admit to that, you're losing your faith. You're yeah, a backslider. Yeah. You're like leaving the church. You know, you're a horrible person. You're whatever. But I think honestly, the opposite is true. It's not until you come face to face with those challenges, those contextual differences, when you realize, hey, actually, now that I've come out of like slavery, now that I've come out of whatever it was that I've come out of, I need a new rule set. Like this, this old way of thinking doesn't mesh with my new, yeah. my new context. Yeah. Um, that your faith can actually grow. It can actually expand. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people misunderstand deconstruction. Like for me, it was never a process of me losing my faith. It was never a process of me letting go of like, you know, the 10 commandments, our fundamental beliefs, our doctrine on like hell or on the state of the dead or any like Sabbath or any of these things that we have. It was more realizing that the way that we practice our understanding of those is wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like for example, <laughs> growing up in a conservative Christian home, I thought that like at, at five 57 on a Friday night, I've got to put down all my tools and I've got to be holy and, you know, yeah. light a candle and sing praises to Jesus. Cause it's Sabbath now. <laughs> um, but I'm slowly realizing that the Sabbath, yes, it is. It is a day set apart during the week. But like God's not gonna come down with fire and brimstone and, and whatever if you don't keep it at exactly five fifty-seven PM. Um and often, you know, like Sabbath, at least for me growing up, was an exhausting day because I, I believed that I had to act a certain way and dress a certain way and like do all these things to be a good Christian and be, you know, get some status in my social club of church in order to be accepted by God. Um, but now I'm realizing, I think with COVID and everything as well, being stuck at home and and all that stuff, actually, we need a new rule book for this. We need to like, let go of some of those cultural things that we accepted, relook at what we actually believe, you know, Sabbath as rest, as restoration, as like letting go of control of, you know, community and like not feeling pressured to do things a certain way. Um, and I think as, as the world continues to move forward and like just I just see society slowly breaking down every yeah. year <laughs> yeah more and more and absolutely more. we're gonna uh, yeah absolutely we're gonna be challenged more and more to let go of those like culturally accepted ways of thinking yeah. and have to move into like what the holy spirit tells us is the way to keep these beliefs that we have yeah. I guess yeah yeah I love like your like your view on the Sabbath that's like that was one of the first things that I when I started deconstructing um that's one of the things that I like was challenged a lot with um just like the way that we kept it because like my experience was very similar like you know like you said like 557 like you stopped doing everything (laughs) and like as a kid I remember I found Sabbath so boring oh my gosh me too no movies no movies no like anything um depending on who I was with like yeah it was 
I, I was really blessed that like my mum wasn't raised an Adventist so she wasn't oh, okay. as conservative as like yeah. the rest of my family so she would let me watch like Veggie Tales. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> so out there, uh, so yeah, like controversial. <laughs> um, and mostly because she wanted to sleep, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, she would also like play like basketball with me, like just, you know, spend some time with her. Yeah. But like, yeah. I really value those experiences now because they're like, for me, Sabbath like reading the Bible and looking at what, like it's a gift. It's God mm. saying, I've got you, just chill for a day. Yeah, You don't have to save yeah. yourself, you don't have to work for your like, worth. And all this kind of stuff. Just just yeah. stop for a day, spend time with your family, spend time with me. That's what Sabbath is about for me. Mm. Um, like mm. that's the conclusion that I came to. Um, that's beautiful. And then like from that, respecting that for other people. So like, mm. like for me, depending on the situation because sometimes you just kind of kind of avoid it but like I try really hard not to like buy stuff on Sabbath because I know for for me it's like time to chill and I respect that for other people but that's where that's coming from that's not coming from a place of like um I can't do this kind of thing yeah yeah I totally resonate with that and I think you really touched on something interesting there and it's something I've had to grapple with as well um I guess I could say it probably better in a story that I heard. So just on that Sabbath topic, right? I remember being at summer camp oh, maybe three years ago, four years ago now. Don't quite remember when, but um, Pastor Phil Yates, he um, was a pastor in the Greater Sydney Conference and he was giving a worship and he gave the best metaphor about Sabbath, but also about like adhering to behavioral standards that I've ever heard. And he said, you know, he's got a brother, right? Uh, and they both love surfing. So he'll go and visit his brother up like Byron Bay somewhere or like on the, on the beach somewhere, wherever he lives, and they'll go surfing together. But then comes Sabbath, right? Now his brother is a professional, like, like really, really good at surfing, whereas Phil is just like, oh, you know, he just casually does it on the weekends yeah. or whatever. It's just a hobby for him. Um, so on Sabbath, what do they do? You know, how can they go surfing on Sabbath? Question mark. Well, for his brother, his brother doesn't go surfing on Sabbath because for him it's work. For him, it's like a competitive thing. It's like if he goes out there, he's going to want to shred the waves and whatever yeah. the surfing terminology yeah. is like as best as he can. But for Phil, he's happy to do that because when he's out there, he's talking to God, he's chilling out, he's like, you know, lying on his surfboard, spending some time meditating on God's word. And I think that just like that micro, that little yeah, example yeah. there is so powerful because, and going back to your question before, like why do we have such a disconnect? I think it's because as individuals, we allow our ego or the way like the cultural flavor of our Christianity to inform what others should be. Yeah. It's like if I go to this church and I believe this and you have to believe this in order to belong as well, but we completely discount the work of the Holy spirit and like the individual aspect of so many of these beliefs that we have, like sure, like a belief on the state of the dead probably doesn't have the same the same flexibility or you know whatever but for something like the sabbath for something like you know how you how you dress for church what you eat all these things that we put on these hugely high pedestal of adventists they don't have to be like that and yet we judge people yeah so yeah 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 there's a lot of stuff like that that we um we put as like we put a moral standing on stuff that is not moral like yeah like um 
especially with like food. So that was a big thing when I was like in my church when I was growing up too. It was like like the health message is really cool and it's really important, but it's not something that we need to use to beat people up with. And I saw that yeah. a lot. Um, really? When I was growing up, not just in like my own church, but just in like the Adventist setting, I suppose. Mm. Um, and then, yeah. you know, people just kind of went away from that and now it's really big in the world and not so big in Adventism, which I just find a little bit funny. I know, I completely agree. I have noticed that over the past five years, like the rise of veganism has kind of left us in the dust a bit. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, Yes, and so like, um, what was I saying? Sorry. Um, yeah, you yeah, know, it puts us. Yeah, yeah so we put like so health stuff is like just so that we can live a more active and wholesome life. It's got nothing to do with how worthy we are. God gave wow. these things to us to help us to live better, to mm. live without as much pain. Like that's why they're there. They're not there to tell us whether or not we're good enough and I just find so much like in my own journey there's been so many things that aren't moral that people put Mm -hmm. a moral like definition on and then use them to control people basically absolutely yeah they conflate the two one example I remember growing up um the church I originally attended Like, I don't think they were huge on the health message. Like, it was never a thing I remember. Maybe they were. I just don't remember it. But I remember a comment from someone one time. There was, like, a a flyer on the wall, and it was, like, for the CHIP program, which is a health program we had. Um, And (laughs) someone said, like, oh, yeah, people here really need this. Like, you know, if they'd actually – there was, like, someone who was sick in in the church at the time. If that person had actually adhered by God's laws, then they wouldn't – be in this position that they are now they wouldn't be like overweight suffering heart disease or whatever and like that's a small example but I have seen that sort of an attitude time and time again where it's like that person didn't adhere to the fit like whatever commandment well it's no wonder that they're suffering you know this person didn't do this thing that's in Leviticus chapter whatever well that's that's why they're suffering that's why they're you know not good enough or we shouldn't accept them because this and that and the other yeah um and so you're so right we like make non-moral issues I mean, like, blame people for, like, their – we don't have any compassion because we blame people for their situation because they haven't obeyed the rules, quote-unquote. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so often we don't look past, like, the rules to, okay, so that person hasn't done that, but why? Like, what's going yeah. on for them on the inside mm-hmm. that they haven't been able to do that? And, like, no one's perfect. No. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> everyone's got their hang on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, yeah, so cool. Um. I guess from this, so obviously we both, like, we agree on a lot of things with, like, church-wise from, like, what we've yeah. just said. So for you, in your de- deconstruction journey, how have mm-hmm. you separated God from these things? Yeah, that's, I guess, the biggest question. <laughs> um, I guess I'm lucky in the sense that I had certain mentors growing up, even in, like, the brokenness of church and like the again as I was saying like the moral blurring of like non-moral issues and all this stuff yeah. we've talked about even in all of that I had beautiful mentors and I remember one that I had um I think I was about 12 still attending my original church and there was one sabbath school like you know she ran children's sabbath school yeah. and she played 
um, indescribable. It's like a sermon by Louis Giglio. It's probably like 15 years old now. I don't know. It's really old. <laughs> but if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. It's amazing. He goes through like all of the planets and like solar system and just it's incredible. And then he points to us as humans and we're like literally less than a pinprick in this huge yeah. expanse of whatever. Uh, and it was just mind blowing to me as a 12 year old to realize that, wow, like God still loves me. Mm. And my, my men- this teacher mentor, um, who I still hugely respect to this day, she said, God still would have died for you, even if you were the only person on earth, even if you were the only pinprick on earth kind of thing. And that was a huge turning point in my life because I was like just <laughs> dumbfounded. Yeah. Like, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's insane. Um, and so I've I've had that perspective in my life and I've always held on tightly to that. And I think just knowing that existential grandeur of how tiny we are and how like insignificant we are and yet God's love is still big enough for all of the things that we struggle with Um that has been honestly my saving grace through all of this. It's like, even if that person calls me up and complains about this article that I wrote, even if that person disagrees with my opinion on what's the name, it's like, it's okay because like the great controversy is raging around us and there are demons trying to tempt us and there are people, you know, there's like all this stuff happening behind the scenes that we can't see. It's like giving people grace, just knowing that that's what's happening has been, I guess, my biggest biggest tool or biggest like perspective that I've had um but in like a practical sense as well I realized that like growing up I measured my worth through what I did for church like I was working so hard on Sabbath or you know during the week like be a good Christian person that I was actually neglecting my relationship with God neglecting my relationship with others like not being genuine um, and ultimately burning out big time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there was a bit of burnout with my job as well, which is why I ended up leaving. And that was, that was a multifaceted issue, but um, just putting in place personal boundaries or learning to, like I'm a huge, huge people pleaser. I'm one of the biggest people pleasers I know. Probably everyone says that, but <laughs> I really, really struggle. Um, and I think that's largely because of my Christian upbringing and believing all these things about you know, God won't accept me unless I say hello to that person or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so just undoing that narrative, like I don't have to do anything to earn God's love. I don't have to do anything. I don't owe really anyone anything. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. And so just knowing that has helped me to put some boundaries in place at like, for example, my local church, but also just in my relationships with people that has really, really helped me through like giving me, I guess, the space and the privacy and what I need to be able to deconstruct on my own. And like my husband's in 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 this with me, like we're sort of saying, oh, you know, we might sort of visit some other churches, not because not because we hate the current church that we are, not because we hate the church, just because we want to experience God in a bigger, you know, more expansive way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess that's twofold how I've sort of coped with it, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, hmm. I, yeah, I can resonate with that a lot um, with, like, my own yeah. stuff. Like, there was I, what, what you said about, like, people pleasing and, like, that coming from, like, your upbringing in the church, mm-hmm. I can relate to that so much. Really? Yeah. And I think I think it really applies to women yeah. more than it does to men as well. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. there so many times that, like, 
yeah, just growing up, all I heard around me was like, yeah, like you always have to give, you have to give, you have to give, you have to give, like, mm-hmm. and like the um the love you love others more than yourself. That kind of stuff got thrown around a lot, which like in my own deconstruction process, I remember. I can't remember who the sermon was by. I think it was um, Michael Todd. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, the guy who does, like, the relationship girls. Relationship? Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. So I was listening to one of his sermons, and he did a sermon on, like, that verse, like, love the Lord you go with all your heart or your mind, and love your neighbor mm. as yourself. Um, and he explained in that that the prerequisite prerequisite to loving your neighbor was to actually love yourself wow that's wow that's like mind-blowing yeah so like (laughs) like for me growing up any kind of self-love as we call it now was considered Mm -hmm. selfish and so Mm -hmm. I gave and gave and gave and burnt out and then beat myself up because I'd burnt out because I couldn't give up give anymore Mm -hmm. um and then yeah hearing that sermon I was like hang on a minute it does say that it says as yourself yeah um and so it was from that that I realized and like kind of God kind of took me on a journey with that that was like yeah you love me first because I can teach you how to actually love because I am love and then you practice on yourself because you are also worthy and you deserve love too and then from mm-hmm. that place of being healthy and loving me and yourself, you can then love others properly. Mm. But that was never explained as a kid. <laughs> yeah. I think it just wasn't on our radar. Yeah. Like the whole self-love, self, you know, working on yourself thing just wasn't as big at that point. Yeah. But and yeah, I, I always love hearing like the sermons that make that difference. Like yeah. that mind altering. It's so, so cool. Yeah. yeah. And I guess like even from that, like, that whole self-love movement, I suppose, that has kind of come through, I think has a lot to do with, like, the poor quality of people's mental health, I guess. Like, mm. people's mental health is not great, yeah. um, especially in, like, the circles that I'm in. Like, mental health is very low. Um, yeah. And, like, I grew up with a dad who had a lot of a lot of mental health stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I guess the the way that we were taught to do things or show to do it's just not sustainable. And like Absolutely. back even back when like we were like kids, the culture of Australia in and of itself was more Christian than it is now. Mm. And so mm-hmm. it's not just Adventism that had this like you have to give, have to give, have to give culture. It was all of Christianity had that. And so like yep. we've essentially kind of burnt out an entire generation of people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely oh my goodness that's so interesting and I think like even in that conversation as well there's a lot of un undiagnosed or unnoticed like spiritual abuse yeah and like okay spiritual abuse is a huge umbrella term so <laughs> I mean do your own research into it but um yeah just the way that things are phrased like one of the things growing up that I really wrestled with was like this idea that if you want to be a good Christian, you have to, like, if you, if you want to please God, right. If you want to like convert others, you need to be a good Christian. You need to be a good Christian example in your community. 
um, you know, do the right things. And then people will ask questions and they'll be like, wow, what does she have that I don't have? I want to find God through that. Like it's a classic message that we're told. Right. Um, and like, it's not even like literally in the last six months, I've realized actually that is really like manipulative, Mm. not only to like people saying it to me because it makes me feel ashamed if I don't do that or guilty or like, I always have to be switched on and like ready to convert people. But also it's manipulating if I am being kind to someone or like being a good person to someone only because I want to convert them. Like what the heck? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's not like if there are people out there in society that are doing lovely things for people just because like what, where is, where is our humanity in that? Like what what are we doing? Like where are our priorities? Um, And or even just like the whole phrase, you know, be a good Christian, be a good Christian, struggle with that. Like, no, be a good, like Christ is the good one. Yeah. God is the good one. You know, he, he's the one who sanctifies us and whatever. We're, we're just sinners. We're people that need Christ. So anyway, could go on a rant about that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get that. It's, yeah, there's the, by, yeah, doing, being like a good Christian or whatever with an mm-hmm. agenda that's so unauthentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people can honestly <laughs> see straight through that. Yeah. And like you even see it, not even when you're evangelizing or whatever you're doing like in the community, but even in the local church itself, there's just so much fakeness. Yeah. At least in the churches I've been to, like maybe traditionally, you know, more conservative or stereotypically that way, like people just are faking it and they hide so much and they pretend to be okay and, you know, whatever. And it stops us from connecting. It does. It's no vulnerability in that, right? And like, I guess, uh, I mean, some of that may come from like being vulnerable is hard um Mm, true (laughs) but and also like depending on like your personality type and who you are and like what you were brought up with like sometimes ego gets in the way of that a lot too like yeah but at the same time like something that I've learned myself is that it's in those moments where I've been vulnerable with people that I've connected with them the best the best Mm -hmm. because people can relate Mm -hmm. to that um and so like, just think about how awesome it would be if we had a church full of people who would rock up and when they asked, we asked how they were or how their week was, if their week was crap, they said, yeah, but I had a bad week this week. Yeah. Like, revolutionary. <laughs> that would be insane. <laughs> and, like, yeah. and then they felt comfortable enough to do that without having their eyes rolled or having someone try to, like, be, oh, it'll get better. Like, like for someone who would actually – people who would actually sit with people in their emotions and not try to fix it, not try to change anything, but just be there for one another. How revolutionary mm. would that be? Because Absolutely. but when you look at like this, like life of Jesus, that's what he did with people. Mm-hmm. He could fix mm-hmm. them and he would if they asked him to, but a lot of the time all people needed was for him to just sit and just be. Yep. How crazy would it be if our church just caught onto that and was like, yeah, I'm just going to sit and be with you. <laughs> yes yes it, it's uh it's interesting I've got a, a friend who I met over Instagram actually who's recently moved her whole life to a different state a different city simply to pursue like a church of that nature like like a small group church like a home church and I think that's so amazing and I, I'm seeing that more and more as well I think because of COVID and like the isolation and lockdowns that we've had and stuff people are waking up to actually like for example for me I, I attend a church of hundreds and hundreds of people I wasn't really contacted by really anyone Hmm. during that period of lockdown. 
what the heck? Like, to me, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's a church and yet nobody's like staying in contact. But I think there's people realizing more and more that in order to have that vulnerability, in order to have that actual connection, A, you need to be checking in with people more and doing life with them, not just meeting once a week on a yeah. Saturday. But also you can't sustain that in groups of more than maybe like 20, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think I think if my prediction, my prof- prophecy, if I could even suggest that going forward would be like, we are going to see more of that. At least I really, really hope we're going yeah. to see more of like those home churches, like genuine connections. Yeah, and stuff, so. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know here in Adelaide we had – well, a couple of years ago, we started up a house church here. Oh, wow. Okay. And that was really awesome. Really cool. Like you yourself? No, no. Um, some of my friends started it up, but I was like part of it okay. for a while. Um, it's right. it's still running, I think, but I haven't been in a while. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, like a lot of like, so the context in South Australia is like a lot of teachers come down here to teach at our schools. Um, okay. But like they have no family here. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, when, like, I don't know they start to have, like, kids and stuff, they tend to move back to New South Wales. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, that's hard. So it's very, like, yeah. nomadic, I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of what mm. happened with that. So people just started to, like, leave. Oh, that's the same. That is hard when that happens, um, yeah. Yeah. Sure. But, like, yeah, and it's, like, it's fair enough. Like, I get why people do it, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For those of us who live here and stay here it's like oh bye (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah no I I see this as a very similar thing Uh, even around here like not necessarily Adventist but like there's a lot of like house church type things starting up because people are just craving that Mm. connection they are I think also just like being locked down for so long yeah people are just (laughs) literally just want any kind of connection yeah yeah (laughs) let alone church connection so and I think that lockdown was really good because like everybody got to or had the opportunity opportunity to whether they did or not is like an individual choice but they got the opportunity mm-hmm. to reflect on like what they were doing with their life and like mm-hmm. what was actually mm-hmm. important because so much stuff yeah. got stripped away from us mm-hmm. that like it's like a forced like sit think kind of thing yeah yes and that makes me so hopeful <laughs> Um, my last editorial that I wrote when I was still working at Adventist Record, um, it was kind of like my great plea, like, please, please change, you know, for the church. And I've actually got a few comments on it being like, wow, that was like, ooh, spicy. Um, but it was about like the great divide that we have, um, sort of between belief and, and behavior and stuff. But one thing that I said, and this goes back to what you were saying about like reflecting and taking time was like, you know, we all come from different cultural backgrounds, different like conservative liberal backgrounds, different families, different whatever. And in order to have unity as, you know, Christ and Paul encourage us to do, we actually like need to know who we are and what we value and where we come from and and to be able to differentiate what we believe because it's the Bible or because it's Jesus and what we believe because it's cultural and like what's important, right? And as you as we were saying before, we so often get confused but the first step in order to have any kind of unity, in order to go forward and to have any kind of vulnerability is that self-reflection. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just knowing like, yeah, anyway, I, I could go on about that, but I think that's a really practical way to start. Like just, you know, journal or like 
take, you know, got Google, like, what do I value? And like, do one of those tests online or whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, get to know yourself so you can, yeah, share that with others and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I've noticed on your Instagram that you have been journaling a lot lately. I have. Oh yeah. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> um, like I noticed that cause I journal all the time. Oh wow. Um, we should talk about that later. For sure. <laughs> but no, no. How has that helped you in like your self-discovery type thing? Because I know it helps me yeah. a lot. Do you have like the yeah. same or similar experience with that? Yeah, I would say like I've really, I've journaled on and off pretty much my whole life. I've always been a writer. I've always loved yeah. the language of yeah, putting words together. Um, but yeah, it's really only in the last six months that I've taken it more seriously, mostly for my own mental health. <laughs> I've kind of suffered and we were talking about that before mental health is struggling right now. Um, but I think... Like I have for so long been unaware or like just haven't, like I've been aware of it, but I haven't really taken it seriously. Like the messages that I'm telling myself over and over, like that inner voice in my head and what it's saying to me and how that's inhibiting my happiness, my connection with others, my whole life in general. Yep. Um, so what I typically do when I sit down and you probably do this too, but I'd love to know what you do as well. Um, I will write down just sort of stream of consciousness, whatever, whatever is on in my mind at that moment. And usually for me, it's like, I have so much to get done today. Oh my goodness. I'm so overwhelmed. Like I'm so stressed about this and that and the other. And as I'm writing all that stuff down, I'm like looking at it. Like my other voice is looking at that voice in my head. It's like this weird out of body experience. And in that I can sort of analyze, okay, well, why do I feel that way? Why am I like so stressed about getting things done today? For example, oh, it's because I associate my worth in life as a human being with how productive I am. Oh, why is that? Oh, because, you know, I was raised this way or because I've had messages growing up. And so when you begin to identify the narratives that are actually causing the stress or the anxiety or the, you know, disappointment or whatever the emotions are you're feeling in your life, then you can begin to work on that. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's been huge for me and it's helped me to connect with so many people, even just on Instagram. Like it's been so awesome. So. Yeah. yeah. How about you though? What's your journaling? So I guess my journal, like, like you, I've, I, I love writing. Um, so yeah. I've kind of written on and off like my whole life, but I started to take it seriously probably when I actually like came back to God. So I was like re-baptized in 2018. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I love it. It was like this big thing, but we won't get there right now. Um, <laughs> and so I just started because I wanted to know what the Bible actually said. Um, so I started mm-hmm. journaling by essentially doing Bible study. Oh, wow. So, Great, like, yeah. I would pray first and then just open the Bible randomly and then whatever chapter or what I, like, happened to open the Bible to, I would read it and mm-hmm. then, like – look up I don't know like the cultural context of it and that kind of stuff and then I would like write from there but Mm. it kind of grew as like I grew it kind of now it depends on where I'm at mentally myself so Mm. like some days I feel like really like spiritually hungry so Mm. I can recognize that in myself now and so I will like delve into the bible and like I don't know do something theological um but other days like um so there's a lot of personal stuff happening for me at the moment so this morning I was like I'm feeling really angry and bitter about this why is that 
And so I would just mm-hmm. like, like, just like, kind of like you, like, just write down everything. And then it just, all this yeah. stuff just started coming out as to why I was feeling that way. And I just ended up crying for a while. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> um, I totally relate. That happens yeah, all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, it depends on the day. And mm-hmm. I used to be like, I used to beat myself up a lot if it wasn't spiritual stuff. But mm-hmm. now I'm more like, well, God is with me all the time and my stuff is just as important to him as, like, the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And if I don't deal with the emotions that I have in my body, I won't be able to connect with him anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah it, yeah, it just depends on what's going on in my life. I just – I'm very mm-hmm. free with it now. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that's so key, that that freedom. And I'm so glad you said that, you know, you don't like put pressure on yourself or whatever to make it spiritual all the time. You don't feel guilty for that anymore. Yeah. yeah. I so resonate. I used to like have to like, okay, God, like what's the verse you want me to look at today? And, you know, what's this, you know, theological stuff? And like I still do that quite often. But um, I think God, you know, he's made us complex human beings. And if we can't recognize like that we are spiritual beings in the first place. Like we don't have to add spirituality yeah. to our lives. Like we're moving God's image. Yeah. Like it's beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, there is freedom in that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like, yeah, journaling has helped me a lot. I would awesome. absolutely recommend to anybody listening that if you haven't yeah. tried journaling. Yeah. Not necess- <laughs> if you're not into writing, not necessarily writing, but like some kind of like reflection. journaling or... Yeah, yeah, like you can do art journaling or like just record yourself on your video each day. Yeah, like, yeah. There's so many different ways yeah. to do it, but just connecting yeah. with yourself is super important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've really, <laughs> really, really enjoyed this chat with you. Oh, I'm so glad. I've really enjoyed it too. I think it's always lovely to chat with like-minded people. I'm sorry if I was a bit all over the place. This is again, I said my first podcast ever. No, no, but been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast with me today, Mary Ellen. Such a great conversation and I hope that you guys, the listeners, have gotten as much out of it as I have. Um, If you guys have any questions on any of the topics that we've spoken about today, please don't um, hesitate to hit us up on Let Them Testify on Instagram, just all one word. And yeah, let us know your thoughts. Um, Feedback is always welcome. And yeah, thanks for listening, guys.